0: Well, welcome back, everybody. We thank you guys for joining us again here at Pursuit of Purpose. I'm Robbie. I'm Chuck. And today we have with us a very special guest, a great member of our community in Southeast Texas. I'm going to let him introduce himself. Uh, Good morning. My
1: name is uh, LaShawn Proctor. I'm the proprietor of Proctor's Mortuary here in the great city of Beaumont, Texas. Um, And just in the funeral business, that's what we do. Well, LaShawn has a cornucopia
0: of life experiences, and I met him recently and decided that he would be of great interest and inspiration to our audience. So I hope you guys enjoy him as as much as I have gotten to enjoy and get to know him. Uh, LaShawn, if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you
1: grew up, and and your childhood. Um, I grew up in Alexandria, Louisiana. Um, I was born in Franklin, Louisiana, a small town. Um, my father is from there, so that's where I was born. We grew up, I grew up there until I was about five. Moved to Alexandria, um, Went to, lived in Alexandria until I was in middle school. Um, came to Beaumont in 1982. Uh, started at uh, Marshall, is where I started. Going to school at Marshall, went to Marshall. From there, I went to Westbrook. From Westbrook, went to the military. Um, They kind of just did some things. But growing up in Alexandria, I think, was one of the more intricate parts of my life. Um, It was where I really got to just be kind of open, free. The neighborhood that we lived in was just a bunch of kids at that point in the neighborhood. My brothers were all older. So my brothers, I'm the youngest of three kids that grew up in a house. Uh, my brothers are all older than me. They graduated school in Alexandria. When I moved to Beaumont, I was more of a only child because mm-hmm. my brothers did not make the move with us. One of my brothers went off to the military. One of my other brothers was working, you know, in his career at the time. So when we moved here, um, I was the only kid. Mm-hmm. So growing up here, not knowing anybody in Beaumont, uh, my, my, how I got here, my father's a minister. Ah, so. Okay. That's how we moved. My father was pastoring in, my, fa- my father's a minister, my mother's a nurse. Hmm. So, uh, and when we were living in Alexandria, my mother worked for the VA hospital. She was a VA hospital nurse hmm. at the time. My father was pastoring, but my father pastored in a town called Natchitoches, Louisiana. Yeah. A lot of people may be familiar with that. Yeah. Um, so my father was pastoring there. Um, my father, in turn, got called to a church here in Beaumont. Now, my grandparents lived in Beaumont. My grandfather, my grandmother, aunts and uncles from Port Arthur, but we lived there. You know, so my dad got called to church in Beaumont, and that's how we came to Beaumont. Uh, From that point, again, went to Marshall. That was when they, in 1982, kind of time frame, ninth grade, you know, of course, they integrated schools. You know, ours Park, Heber, became Westbrook. So I was in that first year of Westbrook. Um, going to yes. Littlebrook, which was on the Hebert campus, yes. which was really right around the corner from my house. Where we used to walk to school, hmm. um, so that's kind of my childhood. Graduated high school from Westbrook, um, and from there I went to the military. So that's kind of my my childhood life, uh, just being here in in Beaumont and just getting acclimated to Beaumont and what Beaumont somewhat at that point I won't say had to offer because once I once I graduated high school I left hmm. and I went to the military. Well,
0: mm-hmm. just to give you a little relate uh, a little. Re- relation, I went to MacArthur, or Peach, and then MacArthur uh, after all that, when mm-hmm. they, you know, when they combined everything or mixed everything up, mm-hmm. uh, and I was a part of that as well. Mm-hmm. So, we got some commonality. Yeah. In, yeah. Uh, so,
2: you moved here right after all the schools merged. And right, all before, right before. Okay. Right before. Right okay. before. Yeah. Because okay. I was in the first year. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: So, okay. Uh, well, I went to Marshall, and then the next year mm-hmm. is when they mm-hmm. they merged the schools, uh, 1982. Gotcha. Um, at that point I was gotcha. in I was in the ninth grade. Okay. Going to the ninth grade. That's so it's called Librook. You know, you had yeah. you had Big yeah. Brook, yeah. yeah, and then you had Little Brook. Right. Brook was only the ninth grade center, right? So only ninth
2: graders were on that campus. Gotcha. You know, at the gotcha. time, I love your uh, quick history. We're going to get into other things here later on, but uh, about that part of Louisiana, uh, I went to Northwestern for one year mm-hmm. before I transferred up to Oklahoma Christian. And uh, but for years, we would go to Alexandria to the top twenty, mm-hmm. which was the basketball champ. If you didn't know, there's there's five five uh, classification in louisiana so all four teams would go to the uh, to the dome mm-hmm. and alexander do you recall all that yeah, yeah we, my dad was a big louisiana high school guy so okay. basketball player so that's where we would go so yeah i know alexander i have family still lives in pine prairie really yeah kind of funny because you say northwestern my dad's church was right across the street from that campus there it is
1: yes it is yes. almost right across the yeah. street from that campus it was, i can't remember the sh- first street i think it was North. First Street, whatever, it was, but it was right across the street right, from, right. That, from that
2: campus. You yeah. call the street. You're doing great. There was a train went
1: through there. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, uh, but did that and uh, and they had a cotton mill. Yeah, yeah, which was smell. The whole town was just smell. It was awesome. Yeah. And now they're known for lights. And now they're known for the lights. <laughs> Christmas lights. Yeah, yeah. Watch
0: the Magnolias. You'll
2: see. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got
0: a question for you. You're talking about Alexandria. You know where you where you came up and everything. What was your childhood like in the home? It sounds like you had a pretty good gap between you and your, your older, older brothers, especially the, the one closest to you, but what was discipline like, and what was it like growing up in your home with your with your dad being a pastor
1: and your mom being a nurse? What was it like structure-wise in the house? Very disciplined. I mean, at that point, that was... When I grew up, when we grew up, that, uh, that was no child abuse. I mean, meaning in the sense... Now, I say that lightly, jokingly, because... That, I grew up, my, my daddy was, you spare the rod, you spoil the job. That's right, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So my mm-hmm. parents were very much disciplinarians. Mm-hmm. So we got spankings. In a physical you know way. What I'm saying? Exactly. Yes. We, we got spankings, you know what I'm saying? And it was thing with, in my neighborhood, and that's why I loved it so much in Alexandria. I remember one of the times, me and my best friend, we lived across the street, and it was a bunch of kids in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So we all, our, our street, the street behind us, this, all in the neighborhood kids kind of got together. And we were kids. You know what I'm saying? We would go down and play in the ditches. You know, we would yeah, go fishing before crawfish yes. and really became popular. We would get our buckets. Mama would get mad because we go get her, her her salt, ham, and stuff out the freezer. She and and she would co- go, yep, go down and yeah, yeah. fish for crawfish. Yeah, I did the same thing. Fish for crawfish. Playing football in the streets. Playing frisbee. Throwing rocks. I remember one time we went down throwing rocks. And this lady had a big pain window. We busted the window, Um, and not not intentionally. But then we come home, and it was like the lady down the street called. Uh They down throwing rocks. And this was a time when neighborhoods (laughs) were neighborhoods. Right. When the village was (laughs) raising the children. Right. You know. So she called. My mom was at work. My dad had always been a mortician, being in a funeral, but my dad was at work, but he's at the funeral home and he was a pastor. So my dad had the leeway to leave and go and come when he want. So the lady called my mom. My mom called my dad. They are on that throwing rocks. So it was me, my best friend across the street, one other guy that was with us. Um, and he was like, well, mama, no, we weren't throwing rocks. By the time she called my mother, we had to go home. My daddy was at home waiting on us because oh. my mama couldn't leave work. Wow. And my friend's dad worked for like one of the plants. So his daddy was at work and his mama was at So they couldn't come home. My dad was the only one that was there to come home. My dad came home and it was like, we, we weren't throwing rocks. And he was like, no, nah, Miss... I forget her name, but hmm. just for the... Like, miss Sue is not going to be lying on y'all. You know what I'm saying? Saying y'all was throwing rocks and y'all wouldn't... No, daddy, we weren't doing it with us. Okay, it's fine. So all of us, all three of us, came in the house my daddy spanked all three of us yeah. you know what i'm saying <laughs> then my daddy called my friend's dad he got off of work they had we had to stay at our house until they got off of work and when they got off of work we had to go across the street all three of us we got another spanking from his father oh, across man. the street, you know? Yes. So it was one of those things of up. Yes. it was like you could not do anything right. in the neighborhood and say you didn't do it because <laughs> the
2: parents yes. want to call.
1: Yes. You know what I'm saying? And if you were saying that you were doing it and all of these older people that was in the neighborhood, right. if you, they said you did something, you did it. You did it. It was no question. It was no explaining. Nobody going to say, well, oh, my kid wouldn't do that. No, <laughs> you, you did it. That's right. You know what I'm saying? If you didn't do it, you was with them when they done it, yes. so everybody's gonna get the same. Yep. Everybody's gonna get the same punishment. Oh, man. And that was one of the things that I that I, I I remember growing up, and it was just just the fun times. I mean, we were able to get in our street, play football. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? One of our neighbors, and at the time, I, I thought I was pretty good in baseball because one of our neighbors played semi pro baseball. Oh. And at that time, you know, and everything had semi-pro leagues and all of those things mm-hmm. so he would always teach me and my best friend how to play we had to learn how to pitch and bat and we used a tennis ball and a broomstick nice nice that yeah. was how yeah. we learned yeah with a tennis ball and a broomstick yeah. Yeah. you know and that's how so when we played little league baseball um, we were both pretty good mm-hmm. and really when I moved from Alexandria I was just so mad Because I didn't want to move. Because all of my friends were there. Yeah. All of the life that we had for sports and all of the things that we just really, we had neighborhoods where our street and all of the kids on our street would go get the kids on the next street. So we had teams. Yeah. This is no street. Yeah. This is our street. So we got on our street because it was more, I guess, the nicest and and we can control the traffic Mm. on our street. Gotcha. And that was the football field in the middle of the street. You know, that's great. Uh, That is Touch football, Touch football in the middle of the street, and that's what and that's what we did, you know. Whether it was baseball, we didn't play a lot of basketball at the time, mm. and that seemed to be one of the things that I played more in high school. Mm. But it was baseball, football, frisbee. Mm. You know, we used to do the frisbee where you know we used to how if, if put back is what we called it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So how far can you throw it? Mm. Then you got to stop where you are and put it back. The further back that you go, you know what I'm saying? We used our street as our field. That's um, great. Our front yard was our baseball diamond. Mm. You know, um, their backyard was sometimes our football field we wanted to play tackle because they had a field behind their house that nobody owned. Mm. But we can get through the field through their fence, you know, okay. and the people kept it cut. But it was on the next block. So that was kind of when we started playing um, football. Right. That was our, that was our field. So it was, it was very interesting growing up there. Right. And that was, some of, that's why I say it was some of the best times that I had um, I had great friends here when I moved but that was some of the times that where we just really got to develop yeah. you know where where we were all and i seen that was where the community was the closest Yes, because when I moved here we were a little bit older and we had not all been together that long so my parents didn't have the the relationship with the people on the street right? you know as we did on our block because our street here was longer. It was probably maybe three blocks. When our street, where I lived in Alexandria, was only one block. Oh, okay. But it was a city block. You know what I'm saying? So on that block, you may have had... You may have had 15 houses on each side of the street, you know, but that was that block. And that right. was Where everybody lived, and that's when everybody was was friends. And, and all of the parents, you know, were together, the older people. And my parents at that time was much younger, so my parents was probably in there. 30s early 40s you know at that point in time so they were kind of more my parents and the parents across the street my friend's parents was some of the younger right everybody else in the neighborhood was older right you know and they were the younger people in the block
2: we might be getting a little bit ahead of our conversation but what you described sounded so formative it formed you Mm -hmm. to be the man that you were going to become and maybe uh if there's a couple of uh, things that you can describe to us and say, well, it, from that formed me to be, and maybe it's a work ethic or your faith or whatever, because obviously that, that collection of all of those, all that energy, the personalities, the people, the fo- the people that cared for you and you cared for them. Well, I think it, it did make me a lot. It, it started the
1: foundation for yes. what I would have liked to have and wanted to have. Mm-hmm. And I think as what and what I see now as even what I wish I would have had, simply because that time changed and as society changed, mm-hmm. the things that our that we were built on, just in the sense of family and neighborhoods that were able to discipline children when they were getting out of line yeah. and put their finger on children and, and then not being any abuse and right. not being any, any, I don't like you. It was those people really cared, right? Even though it wasn't their children, they cared about us. Yes. You know, they loved us. You know, if we were down the street playing outside and it was hot, Hey, y'all need some water. Yeah. You know, here, here, come, come get some water. Wow. Y'all been outside too long. You know what I'm saying? It's hot outside. You right. know, get in the shade. Just them really genuinely caring. And then if we got out of line, you wrong. Right. You know what I'm saying? We're going we're gonna to now discipline you.
0: With the same love
1: that they with gave the you water with. Exactly. So <laughs> wow. that kind of growing up and, and wanting that and, and having that then kind of said, you know what? This is what life really could be. Yeah. And then... When you fast forward sometimes, and you look back, and you be like, "Man, how can we get that back?" Mm-hmm. But now everything's so fast-paced. Yes, everything is so going in your garage. And then at the end of the day, really, when I look back at it, we didn't have garages. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. You had to drive up in the front of your house. You drove up in the front of your house. You had to speak to your neighbor. Yes. You know what I'm saying? You had to wave at your neighbor. Right. Now we drive in the garage, close the door before we get out the car. And shut the world out. That's right. You never see the neighbor. Right. So those things that really, when I look back at it, Mm -hmm. and I say, those are the things that helped me in caring for people. You know what I'm saying? And I think now where I tend to put people before me, you know, I tend to put how people do things and see things and where people need to be even before myself, Mm -hmm. because if, if we have that caring for people and we have that to where we show people that we care, things can be so much better. Yeah. You know? And I think that was one of the foundations that kind of really just taught me unknowingly, you know, and now when you look back at it and say, never the, I don't think the lessons that we learn when we we're that young, we ever know that they're going to be impactful right. in our life, right? you know, and really kind of drive us to certain things that we do because we never really look at it like that. Correct. And, and, and when I, I because I often go back to my neighborhood I he'll say often, but last time, probably last part of last year, I was in Alexandria doing some work and I drove down my street You know, just to see how it was, and it was so amazing that the house is still the same color. My my parents back then you had siding. Remember they put siding on houses. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a wood house. You know, it was on a slab, but it was a wood. What pier? It might have been on piers, but wood house. You know, what I'm saying I think it was on piers, but wood house. But it had siding, and it was amazing that I went to the house and it, it was yellow. My dad had put yellow. Side, and it was white at one point with red trim. When right. the yeah. siding first came out, yeah. Sears—I remember that oh, yeah. yeah. Sears put yeah. That siding. Yeah, and Sears put that siding that's on great. the house. Right, and I went there, and that
2: siding is still on yeah. that You know, that's and that's like, "That's a testament to the siding to Sears." That, that's right, and they're out of business. They're out of business. What a product, though. Yeah, You yeah. know, that's classic. Yeah. I love yeah. it.
1: Yeah. And uh, so it, it's just amazing how the neighborhood, someone still sees the same different Good. makeup. But um, when I look at my childhood, those are the things, and those people, Good. you know, sometimes I, I I hate that I was never able to go back now when people can see you as far as what they've helped you to become. Yes. That you can never really go back and say thank you. Yes. You know, yeah. or just the little things that you poured into me. Right. That sometimes maybe they didn't even know that they were pouring. Right. You know, because then people just did things because they were loving kids and they just wanted the kids to be. Better at what they did, and they wanted them to have good things and and, guide. and I don't think they ever really thought about that, that how impactful, right? That they really were going right. to be in some of our lives, you know. And and that was just one of right. the things growing up, and that's why I think that neighborhood resonates so much with me. Yes, even even today, you know, right. because it was just so many good things that happened there. Right.
0: Well, I, and I tragedy. I absolutely love the way you talk with such passion. Yes. And endearing memories uh, about that time in your life. It's obvious that that, those were, you know, seminal times that that, like you said, built the foundation Mm -hmm. for you to build the rest of the man you've become Mm -hmm. on. I'm curious. So if you could look back to that time, Mm -hmm. well, it's probably. Say about 12, 13, somewhere around in there. Mm -hmm. What did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I didn't want to be a mortician. <laughs> you know what? At the time, I really don't. Um, at one point, I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. okay. That that was one of my dreams. I, I I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and but I didn't. At that time, I really didn't know how to get there. Mm. And I say that because even when you look at I look at now just of <clears throat> people, most people I don't say most a great percentage of people end up doing things that their parents did. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at it, it becomes generational. The ones that's lawyers, their parents was lawyers. The ones that's doctors, their mm-hmm. parents was doctors. Mm-hmm. The ones that's morticians, and funeral business, they people were in the funeral business. Right. Sportcasters, sports, if they were athletes, they were professional sports, then their kids are doing it. Right. I don't think, at that point, I didn't have anyone. And, and my parents, and when I told my parents that even in the point... I went to, like, different things at the courthouse, you know, different little things that they were having that they were saying, okay, if you wanted to do this, do that. I remember my parents trying to help me do that, but that was just a dream that I had, but nothing that I really ever pursued, you know, when people say, what, you want to be I want to be a lawyer? And I think that comes from, like, so much Perry Mason and all of that on TV, you know, you're seeing those type of things. Um, but outside of that, when I really got into the meat and potatoes of it, Then I saw my brother that was in the military Mm. and I said, I want to go to the Navy. Mm. I want to be like my brother. You know, my brother was, he, he, like I said, when he graduated high school, when we were living in Alexandria before we ever moved here, he went to the military Mm. and he went to the Navy. So once I got into 15, 16 years old, um, I had made up my mind, I was like, I'm going to go to the military, you know? And when I was in high school, you know, I, I did the, the delayed entry program. Okay. You know, delayed entry is when you sign up before you ever graduate. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And that became my path, you know, as far as that. Um, so that was just kind of kind of what it, what it was. And that's how I think of how I ended up there. And then when you forward, fast forward to the military, then I often say that was the next best thing that I ever did.
0: I'm glad you threw that in there Mm because I was going to ask you, we have a lot of younger people in our audience. Uh, Many of them are still in high school. Mm -hmm. And I was going to ask you, you know, while you're on that topic, send a message to them of how that brought value or or
1: not to your life. I I think for anybody that do not know kids, that do not know what they want to do in life, go to the military. And I simply say that because the military gives you so much an open ray of things that you can do, even from being doctors or lawyers or cooks or captains of ships, you know what I'm saying? Anything that you want to do, you have to realize it's military. If you decide you want to be in law enforcement, where do most of them get their experience? Mm -hmm. Military. Right. What, even when you talk about law enforcement, what police station, a department would not hire a military veteran that's been in war. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? A combat that's that's been there that has that experience. Mm-hmm. You know, most when you I'm just saying it. Most SWAT teams, what do they mimic? Mm-hmm. Military. Military. That's why they want their training. They'll never be as good as a SEAL unless they were a SEAL. Yeah. They'll never be as good as Green Berets unless they were Green Beret. You know. Um, so I say to anybody because one thing about the military and why I love the military at when I went in and even now, The military is a level playing field. Okay. When I say that, mm-hmm. if you go in, it's a level playing field. There is nobody that can have more than you because if we go in the military, only way we are gonna be different is if we E-7 or above. Okay, You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. In the military. I was in the Navy and I used the Navy for instance. I was on ships
0: mm-hmm.
1: from somebody that had two months in the military. To somebody that has 17 years, they're all living in the same burden. Mm-hmm. we living in the same 50-foot square, square foot area with bunks stacked three high, mm-hmm. using the same head, same mm-hmm. restroom. Mm-hmm. Nobody has nothing else that I don't have. Mm-hmm. Nobody else can go nowhere else that I can't go. And I say don't use E7 and above because they have chiefs have their own chief mess. So they separate. They have their own area. Officers have their own area. Mm -hmm. But everybody else that's on that ship, can't nobody else go where I can't go? Wow. Can't nobody else do what I can't do? Right. Because we on the ship. Where you going to go? All areas are accessible to the same people outside of your secure areas where you're going to have your intelligence and those type of things Mm -hmm. but everything else that's common is common so what happens at the military it makes everybody level it teaches you to be able to come together Mm. it teaches you camaraderie it teaches you that i can't have anything so you can't look down on me that's right Mm -hmm. and i can't look down on you right because we got the same right we got the same uniform on we got the same shoes on. We got the same jacket on. We got the same everything is the same. Mm-hmm. So nothing can be different. Right. So it makes you bond. Gotcha. I like that. That's really good. I don't together. Too. So I tell anybody that don't know what they want to do. Yeah. And plus, the military is going to take you places where what we consider poverty. Oh yes. yeah. Take you to poverty areas where people don't have. Yes. Wow. It's gonna show you. Wow. what living in poverty is. really yeah you yeah. know what i'm saying not yes. just talking about it you're going to experience it. yes and and in those things when 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 you like we're on a ship and what i loved about it so much was it was the old thing when you get out in the ocean it's too much water to drink mm. and it's too far to swim so at that time if something happens to this ship what happens we all together. Yeah. Wow. We in this together. Right. Because we either going to live mm-hmm. or die together. Right. There is no separation. Mm. You know, of course, everybody get off. They do their own thing. Right. Yeah. Have your, right. But when you are there, it teaches you that I can't. I I, I may not, in a sense, like you, per se, personality or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I know that you going to have my back. That's right. If anything goes south. Right. And it goes back to, like, growing up in neighborhoods because we were on the ships. Even though everybody had their difference, we were always going to be against the other ship. That's right. So whether we were playing sports and we had our own basketball team, Mm -hmm. this was our basketball team. Right. You know what I'm saying? So our ship came together to support our team. Their ship came together to support their team. And then we had that fun, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of competition yeah, the coin ships and all of those things, and that's where you had come into military stuff, and then you started meeting people that really became friends. Yes, you know you you learn so much about people. I I learned so much in the military about people from different cultures hmm. that did not come from places that I came from. Okay, that came from other places um, because at that point, military is going to be really a melting pot. Yes, when you talk about melting pot, different cultures different lifestyles, mm-hmm. different places. And you have to realize, and it is it is what it is. I went into the military in the eight, early 80s and mid and late 80s. But at that point, things were a lot different than it is now. Mm-hmm. And I can remember at that point, some people that was on my shit was forced. Just said I had to come. So uh, I'm not either going to jail or go to the military. Wow. They went to the military. Okay. You know, um, people that had just never been anywhere outside of the community that they lived in. Mm, right. They had never been nowhere else. And military was an out for them.
2: Okay,
1: Military was a saving grace for them. You know, it was like, man, if I didn't come to the military, I knew I was going to jail, I was going to be dead. You know, some people did it to escape their families. Okay. Because of their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Because of where they live. Because mm-hmm. they didn't have a healthy home. Gotcha. You know, um, and, and at the military, when you came there... I think people experienced that it was just level. Yes. Nobody just, because when you went to the military, nobody knew nothing about you that you didn't tell them. So if you needed a fresh start. Yeah. Or if you needed something. Right. It was like escaping to a totally different world. Right. And it was a thing where what I loved about it, all of the underdogs could really come back and have a story to how I overcame because some people came in the military and never went back home. When I was stationed in Japan, because that's where I left. I left went straight to Japan. And I stayed and some of I know I didn't come home for two years because just being able to leave and how it works mm-hmm. and doing those things. Mm-hmm. But some people hadn't been home in five, ten years because they used it to escape and nobody and they you you had a life, you had an identity that you was built, whether people were bullied in school, mm-hmm. whether they were doing different things. The military really allowed them to come in and had a fair shot to where nobody would judge you. And it was on your own merit of how you excelled. And they could reinvent themselves. How you progressed. You know what I'm saying? Because if you came in there and you did what you needed to do, you can make rank. Mm -hmm. You can study for your test and whatever rate that you were in. Mm -hmm. You can make rank. You can come in. And a lot of those guys stayed in. They became high high-end enlisted people right. whether they went to an officer program the military just opened so many doors wow you know and those are the things that that i tell for anybody that wants to go or don't know where they want to be right don't know what they because you can go to the military and get out start a second career yep start a second life yep well i'm gonna Let tell you military be that foundation right you uh <laughs> You have really offered
0: an amazing perspective about yes. that, and I really appreciate it. Not mm-hmm. only that, but I, if any of our listeners in, in our audience happen to be naval recruiters, I think we've just given them <laughs> an amazing pitch, so <laughs> they can play this for the young people Call that they're trying to bring in. That was to come to your school. That was that was a
2: great. That was that was amazing, and yes. I I can't thank you enough. Two uh, words I got from that was uh, was that. That level, put that equality, mm-hmm. that level, play and then the meritocracy. Mm-hmm. I, I earn your I, way. I'm a fan mm-hmm. of both. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, give everybody a, a fair shot, and now you go get it. You and obviously, the military gave, if uh, you you saw other young men and women just you, once. You eventually did learn where they came from, because you know you talk mm-hmm. and all that. But at the time, I didn't know that. I'm just watching you do your job That's and it. see if you're going to do it well. That's and it. then when they did, you're like, okay, I, I see. Well, when you're in a confined space. And you
1: have three racks stacked on top of each other and you only got enough to be able to crawl in and not sit up. You get to know who's above you who's on Absolutely. Side, and who's across from you, right. you know, and those are the things to where a lot of times, you know, really when you're there and you out at sea for six months, nine months, mm. you have nothing to do but learn the person that's next you. Right. You know, because then you find people that's not going to judge you. And I think that's the that's the main thing that we want as people A lot of times when we go things, we just want somebody that's not going to judge us. Correct. You know, and in that you find people that just not going to judge you. Right. You know, and and I think that's the thing that makes us become so many friends. I tell you, my best friends, even today, people that i met in the military. Come on. And I got out after 10 years. A lot of them stayed in for 30 years. Wow. And men, it's six of us. And we, we always have kept in touch. The last couple of years we get together every year. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And just have a weekend of just just friends. Right. You know, and everybody lives in different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. And we just make that. And and that's not only me. It's a lot of people that have been in the military that you build those relationships because you go from command to command to command. So you two years here, two years here, two years there. Mm -hmm. And over 20 years span, you may be everywhere. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. and you've met so many people. And some you jail when and so many people that you're able to to just make a great impact in their lives and then make impacts in your lives. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's something that you can't get outside of the military.
0: You know, it's interesting you bring that up. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's amazing. And so many kids that I talk to today, and when I say kids, I mean teenagers and then all the way from out of graduation. One of the common threads that I hear is that they don't have friends anymore. They don't have true friends that they mm-hmm. that they trust and they can mm-hmm. b- that, you know, maintain that long lasting relationship. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's because of what you alluded to earlier about when you get home, you go in your garage, shut the garage, and you shut the world out. Now we've disconnected ourselves so efficiently that we don't have this interpersonal contact. Mm-hmm. And that military thing—that's amazing. It still it will still have that. You can't get mm-hmm. away from it because of the necessity of the way everything is it, built. It makes you it uh, makes you do it. That's mm-hmm. that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So to where we are now, you, you served in the military mm-hmm. and then you you got out
1: from there. Are you are you married? No, I'm not married. Okay. Um, do you have any children? I have children. I have I have a daughter that was military, you know, when I was in the military, me and her mother met who was in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a daughter, her name is Fiona. Um so I have her. I have my nephew outside of the military, uh, he's 22 now. I adopted my nephew okay. when he was three. Then I have a son. My son is 11, okay. which is his name is Bentley. My 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 nephew got adopted is James. Uh, my son is his name is Bentley. He's 11. Um, he'll be 12 in March. Um, so I have three kids: two boys and a girl. More and a girl. A girl.
2: Uh, okay.
1: So yeah, <laughs> never been married. Um, actually, and. You met Ann? Yes, I did. That's my son's mother. Okay. So her and I we were together for a long time, um, but yeah, we just we just never got married. But I, and that's that's my kid. But then when you look at like her kids, and did never leave them out. She has three kids outside that I raised. Hmm. You know, so she has Taja, Fiana. I mean Tajah, Felicities, and Rayshard. So those hmm. are her three kids. So we had a blended family. Yes. And, you know, so I basically you know was a part of all her kids' lives. So they're still my kids as well. But those are just when you talk about biological kids. That those are my, but her kids are my kids. My kids are her kids. Your kids so
0: are your kids. Yeah, uh, I, I'm also a part of a blended family, and then I have a blended family myself. Mm-hmm. So I can relate to all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's beautiful. Yes. And just to let you know, uh, I, and let the audience know, I got the privilege of, of meeting Miss Anne and watching you two interact <laughs> together. And I wasn't going to make any, you know, assumptions <laughs> about anything, but I could definitely tell that there was a longstanding relationship of some sort and uh, that she was a big influence on your life and that that y'all cared for each other. So that's great. Uh, When you, when you got out of the
1: military, did you go to any college or anything like that? Well, I was in the military and that's another thing. Kids, when we go back, just kind of back, you know, the military offers you college programs and college classes while you're in. And that was a big thing. And and hindsight 2020 for me, I hate that I take better advantage of that, when I was out to sea for six, nine months at a time, mm-hmm. you know, because you had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. The military always had uh, college curriculum okay. that you could sign up for mm-hmm. while, you, learned, were at sea. while you, you were at internet. sea. You was, now, the internet and all that stuff wasn't as fast, you know, now where you can do all that now and it'd be online classes like they have. I'm sure it's a much more advanced now. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that. It was more... You mail in, you do the curriculum while you're there, you do it on paper, you mail it back, different things like that, but it was available. Um, I took advantage of some of it, but I didn't take advantage of enough of it to where I had gotten a college degree. You know, like a lot of my friends, most of my friends that I have, they got their college degree while they were on active duty Hmm. in the military, you know, so they... Had their military job, and, and a lot of my friends that I deal that I still have now, they while they were active duty, mm-hmm. they took classes while they were either at sea, while they were at their commands, while they were doing it. And most of them, before they ever retired, had a college degree. Some of them have master's degrees. Wow. Those are something that it, it 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 gives an advantage to children or kids, right. like, the children that's going in the military. If they do it now, you just think mm-hmm. if you go in the military now, a child, a, a kid right out of high school, and they take advantage of that while they're at. Mm-hmm. In the military, mm-hmm. whether they're doing things, and if they if they were disciplined enough mm-hmm. to take those classes for years, they would come out of the military with an honorable discharge and a college degree. Wow, is this accessible? That's amazing. It's those things, but I did not do it. But I did take some classes, and I did have some college credits um, because once I got out of the military, that's when I that's when my railroad career started, mm-hmm. and I also went to a uh, mortuary science school. Oh, so, a vocational type school yeah, for so that. that. Okay. That's, that's where after the military, that was where my life turned. So that became my, after my military career, then I started my next career, w- w- which was, it, it, they ran simultaneously okay. going to school for, to be a martician Okay, and working at the railroad. Okay. So that was something that I did simultaneously. And that, How at did that you point, choose the railroad? Um, I I, honestly, I was blessed with that job because the railroad was one of those jobs to where you couldn't get in unless you knew somebody. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody. Again, my father was pastoring. So he knew some people. And I I just happened to get out of the military and I didn't have a job. And when I got out of the military, two two things, it kind of ran simultaneously, really. When I got out of the military, before I got out, I had a conversation with my father and I was like, I'm getting out. Cause I I reached that point to where it was 10 years Mm -hmm. and it was either stay or go 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's it's that mark. If I do more than 10, there's no need to get out because then I got more time ahead behind me. Mm -hmm. Then I got ahead of me. Mm -hmm. So it was like, if I do more than 10, I'm staying for 20. I'm going to stay. This is going to be my career. Mm -hmm. But at that point I wanted to get out. Um, I was just really kind of frustrated with going to see because Mind you, I love the military and take nothing away from it, but there was not any stability. Mm-hmm. There is no stability. Were always yeah. going in the yeah, military. Boom, so yeah. If you're going to be in the military, you are never, un- unless you, depending on where you are, some people stay a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But the odds of you having anything solid outside of a career right, is not likely right. because the military needs you here. Two years, yes. three years, maybe four years here. Yes. After that, you're going to pick up your life, mm-hmm. and you're going to move it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You're going to pick up your family if you have it, mm-hmm. your children. You're going to move them somewhere else. Right. Whether it's overseas, mm-hmm. whether it's stateside, mm-hmm. you're going to be going somewhere else. So there was no stability. And at the time, I was just like, I'm really just
2: tired of moving yes. around. You <laughs> know what and, and, you had, and you had with what I heard from your story, you'd had both lives. You had your Alexandria, Beaumont, which is mm-hmm. long bouts of being in one place, stable, mm-hmm. you know, community, friends, church, and all that. And then military is just that constant, you know, moving, if you will. So you've had the taste of both, mm-hmm. and you, I guess, you realize you know, it had run its course. Yeah, but you know, and and
1: even in in I'm, I'm a, I'm a share that was kind of when you start talking about forming mm-hmm. life and and. Making you who you are. And that's what I love about the military and even my life now because it's not much different. There's still not much stability, honestly. It's always moving <laughs> because it was on call. Yes. You know, the military is like, it, call, you, you right. call you, you go. Call you, you go. Call you, you go. I went to the railroad. It was call you, you go. Okay. Call you, you, go. Okay. I'm in the funeral business. Yeah. Call you, you go. Okay. Call you. So, I mean, that's kind of what has been instilled in me. Yes. It? And it's kind of where my life is. So I really don't knock it a lot. I think at that point in time when I got out of the military, it was just going to sea all the time. Yeah. You know, these six, nine months out at sea, you know, all the time, it was fun at one point, you know what I'm saying? But then some things just kind of get old, Yeah, you know? And it was that that desire to be on shore duty. You know, if I if I could have stayed on shore duty or had one of those things where I was on shore duty, I probably would have stayed, okay. you know what I'm saying? Because it would have been a little bit, but the Navy is different okay. because you're going to have shore duty, but you're going to be on the ship. And when your ship get deployed, then you gone mm-hmm. with your ship, even though you, you know, you have a base mm-hmm. where you are, but you're, you're tied yeah. to the ship. Yes. Um. So when your ship leave, you leave. Yes. And it just, and that was just one of the things, my seashore rotation, I had more sea time then I had short time okay. because you have a sea every job has a seashore shore rotation you got to do so many years at sea mm-hmm. before you can come back to shore mm-hmm. so picking your job in the military is very important okay. if you want to have a higher so if you have more paperwork things like that job PN which is going to be more admin and stuff like that mm-hmm. they don't need a lot of them on ships right you know what i'm saying but if you're in mechanics or you in engineering or you in all of these jobs that they need you and they have to have a bunch of people mm-hmm. in that department to run that ship, mm-hmm. then depending on the size of the ship, they need more people. So they don't need that people. If you're mechanical and you just say if you're a baller tech, they don't need you on land. Yeah. At the time when they had ships that were run by ballers, they need all of them on the ships right. that we had. That was running baller, so your time gonna be out there mm-hmm. because your jobs on land is very limited. Yes, you know, so it was. It's very important when 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 they are picking jobs. If what do they want to do? Right, you know, because those seashore rotation things really matter as far as how much. And that was just me. I just I I, I was really tired of that. My seashore yeah. rota- rotation wasn't fair enough.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I made an observation while you were talking. If you don't mind, I'm gonna throw this at you. See what you think about this. Tell me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But it. I noticed that you talked about your father and your mom when you were a kid, that your mom was a nurse mm-hmm. and your dad was a pastor. Mm-hmm. When someone called, what happened? They you, both went. They had to go. They had to go. And there you are. And there you a are. A reflection. Servant. Yeah. A servant. A servant. Just <laughs> like your dad and just like your mom. So it goes back. So it all builds on that that foundation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's beautiful. You're carrying mm-hmm. on a legacy. Mm-hmm. And to bring us a little bit further, so you went into the railroad mm-hmm. and you, you stuck that out. You made a, a career of that for a pretty good length of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long did that last
1: 13? I, I worked for the railroad for 13 years. So getting to that job you ask, how did I get that job? I never thought that I'd work at the railroad. Um, I got out of the military and one thing at the time, the railroad was, the railroad had never hired. I had not hired in 30 years before they hired, my class, couple of classes before me mm-hmm. and everybody afterwards. Right. The railroad hadn't, hi- hadn't hired in 30 years. Huh. So our senior had 30 years seniority. Oh, my goodness. On the railroad. Wow. So the railroad was in a hiring frenzy to where they had to hire mm-hmm. people. People were aging out. And what they did is go back to military. Anybody that had military, honorable discharge, or military experience. Okay they were hiring them like that. Why? Because they knew, they felt you had discipline. Indeed. Right. They felt that you... Dependability. You had dependability. Yes. They felt that you... So a lot of guys that did not know nobody at the railroad, if you had military mm-hmm. and you had an honorable discharge and all that, it was automatic check in the box for you. Wow. So a lot of guys that got hired with me, a lot of us, if we didn't know nobody, we all had military background. Gotcha. And they went on a hiring frenzy at that time because just across the the board and like i said nobody ever really knew about railroad i think when Mm -hmm. even here when you talk about where we live in southeast texas it was always the plant everybody i went to school with fathers worked at the plant everybody wanted to work at mobile everybody wanted to work at chevron everybody nobody ever wanted to work at the railroad Mm -hmm. so even all of those jobs at that point it was it wasn't about what you knew it was about who you knew. Yes. You couldn't get on that mobile unless your daddy worked there <laughs> yeah. and you knew somebody that was able to get you in. Right. Outsiders were going to be very few to get in. Railroad, nobody ever really knew about it, but it was easier for when they started hiring. They had just never hired, so nobody could get on. Mm-hmm. So all of those guys that had 30 years, years—it was kind of funny when I think about it now, all of those guys that had 30 years railroads, their sons was just becoming of age to work. 19, 20, yeah. 21 years of old age they all started getting hired at the railroad because when they started hiring, they put their names in the hat. So your dad had been here for 30 years. He got good seniority. He's been here. We're going to hire your son. Oh, wow. And then guys like us that came in, the only thing that we had was somebody out there saying, and how I got hired. My dad, pastor of the church, guy that knew my dad said, my, my dad, my son just coming home, you know what I'm saying? He needs a job. You know what? The railroad about to start hiring. Tell him to put his name in the hat. Put my name in the hat? Yeah. What did you do before? I went to, I just got out of the military. Check, oh, we're going to hire you. Here, come to this interview. Come to the interview, take a test, pass the test. Okay, you hired. Be here this day. And that's how my railroad career started. Gotcha. But hindsight, like I said, door. When I got out of the military, I didn't know what else I was going to do. Mm-hmm. So I told my father, and this is kind of a funny thing. I told my father, I said, dad, getting out. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said, uh, so what can I do? My dad said, and my dad was working for somebody else in the funeral business. My dad said, I don't know nothing else but funeral business. Mm. I said, let's open the funeral home. And my dad was like, okay, you think? And mind you, my dad's dream was always to own his own funeral home. Really? Wow. Now, my dad had been in the funeral business since he was out of high school. Yeah. He, my dad went to the Army, so my dad was drafted, and he went to the Army. He got out of the Army, mm. and my dad went to funeral business. And actually, before he went to the army, he he was a mortician. He went to the funeral business. And then my dad told his grandma, they lived next to a, a funeral home. Um, he's scared of dead, people scared of the funeral home. But he graduated high school <laughs> and he told his grandfather that he was going to mortician school. <laughs> and his grandfather said no, he ain't. And my grand my daddy said my grandpa took him, dropped him off at Commonwealth in Houston, told his grandma he'll be back in about two weeks. My daddy finished school, came back a mortician, okay. and worked okay. for somebody else all his life. Right. Ran somebody else. And that's what my dad did, as I say, when was in Alexandria. Right. Worked for somebody else, ran somebody else's funeral home. My dad was got here, went to work for a funeral home here, did damn bombing. But then I get out of the military, and I'm like, I don't know what else to do. And I said, why don't we start a funeral home? And my dad was like, okay. So <laughs> my dad at the time was pastored in Silsby mm-hmm. and he was pastored in Silsby, so... One of his friends, um, Reverend Harden, helped him to find a building and just show you how God works, man. Mm. God has always been so favorable to us, even in all of this that we've done. Mm. When I got out, I had some money say, you know what I'm saying, my family's always been working, my dad, yeah. like I said, basic people. We ain't never had a whole lot of anything. You know, we wasn't poor, but, you know, middle class at the time yeah. when middle class was middle class. You know? Right. And it's not middle class no more. But, just in that sense of working.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and we was like, okay, we're going to start a funeral home. So at that point, my dad and his friends started looking for buildings. So we were living in Boma, My dad was pastored in Silsby at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of his friends there, they was, started looking for buildings, found a building in Silsby. So this is where we started. Um, guy came in. They, they had already looked at it. By the time I got home, then we went, looked at the building. We started our funeral home on $15,000 in a credit card. Wow. That's what we started our business at. And the guy that had the building, we didn't have anything. Talked to him, talked to my daddy, leased us that building. Leased it with an option to buy. Okay. And so so we went in and we we chose Seals because that was only one other funeral home there at the time. It was kind of had been there forever. The guy was older, so it was like, okay, where can we start? It was an easier place. My daddy was pastoring there, so we thought it was going to help. So we started our funeral home there. And it took us six months before we did our first funeral. But we did all this work to this building. We bought an old hearse from a guy in Houston that had a funeral home, had some hearse sitting up (laughs) under uh, a shed, you know what I'm saying? And had a shirt, uh, hearse sitting up under the shed that he wasn't using no more at the time. I don't know if you remember Earl Shride. Oh yeah, yeah Earl
0: Shride. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. They go in paint there, three hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. you can get a
1: uh, get a whole car painted <laughs> for three hundred dollars. They ain't masking. They ain't taking uh-uh. nothing. No, we paint everywhere. We, we, we painted. Don't paint be painted. It's gonna be painted. <laughs> we put that hearse there. They painted that for us, you know what I'm saying? Made yeah. it shiny. Yeah. That's all we wanted. We just wanted to be shiny. That's right. Uh, shine it up, you know. And we started our funeral home there. But the thing about it is, at that point, it was a... And I never looked at it until after the fact, you know, years, many years later, is that I didn't know what I was going to do. But in all of that, I helped my father live out his dream. That's beautiful. holding on his own funeral home. My father, in turn gave me a career yes. that I never knew that I wanted or that I was going to have. Right. Because in the old time of that, like I said, we wasn't doing anything. We wasn't doing any business. So I got hired on at the railroad. Mm-hmm. So my dad and my mom at the time, cause my mom was retired by then, mm-hmm. and another guy, they would just, they would kind of work the funeral home thing. And I went to work for the railroad. So for 13 years, I worked at the railroad, took calls. Our funeral home wasn't really doing anything. Um, but it was, my dad, my dad's whole concept the whole time was all we got to do is make enough to pay the bills, keep the doors open. Mm-hmm. If we keep the doors open, eventually it'll work. Right. And, you know, and, and that was just it. We had very low overhead. This guy, Mr. George Stone here, I, I thank God for him. He leased us that building with an option to buy. Very little, just so we can get in it. He was, he, got, he was God sent. You that? know, he was God sent. They had a, building next door they did like sound systems and stuff for churches but they sold us that property and um and we were able to keep that property keep it keep it going eventually we was able to pay it off you know and and from that point still working at the railroad not doing anything but we were able to start our business there and then that's from that point my railroad career went to 13 years and doing those things we came to beaumont um, then I would, it, our business got to the point where I was, my railroad career came to an end, mm-hmm. you know, and at that point I couldn't do both. Right. Right. Our business was picking up and the railroad was very demanding, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I, I couldn't keep both. So I, I had to leave there and then that's where my career really started mm-hmm. in the funeral business. You were able to put your focus
0: on your yeah. purpose.
2: Yeah.
1: There that I didn't
2: know I had that you didn't, didn't know you
0: had. That is beautiful. That I, is. I really love that story. Yeah, and, uh I know here, especially here locally, our community is going to be blessed by that story. Mm-hmm. Uh because I can guarantee you that so many people don't know how Proctor's Mortuary came to be. Hmm. Uh and I, I think that is extraordinarily inspirational mm-hmm. because you, my friend, are a living example of personal reinvention. Yes. And the pursuit of purpose. Mm-hmm. And that is what we we work to illustrate here. So now you're embarked on this new journey. Mm-hmm. You and your dad creating this dream. Mm-hmm. You've got the Silsby location that got your that's your that, that's your foundation, that's where you started, then you opened the Beaumont mm-hmm. place. So draw me a picture, if you would,
1: from there to now. So when we when Silsby was in Sealsby, um, if, if you know anything about Silsby, it's a small town. Oh, yeah. Um, I lived small, there a lot. <laughs> there's, not, there's not a lot going on. There's not a lot of high death rate um, in Sealsby. Um So at that point, we was looking, and we lived in Beaumont. Okay. So it's always on the same side of town. I grew up on the same side of town that our funeral home is. It's, it's just amazing when you, I mean, let's just start thinking our business is located in the same neighborhood four blocks from where I grew up, four blocks from where I played, never knew that this would be the property that we would own the community that I would serve. Right. Where I grew up, just never, just never thought about that. But this building, was used to, our, the, our building on Washington Boulevard used to be a veterinarian clinic. Okay. So again, show you how God works. Man, God has just, when I thought of me think about it, he just showed so much favor for us in this thing the building was empty. It was owned by at the time the Hausmans. Again, leased to own. It's always been. wow. Mm-hmm. Went in. We we requested to lease to own this building, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, again, got this going in first. You know, and and giving people to show favor, mm-hmm. they leased us this building for a little of nothing with an option to buy. That's beautiful, that it least us this building with an option to buy. We took the building, at the time the building was about 1,500 square foot. Okay. Um, Opened a funeral home, and it was one of the things my dad's whole thing was, we just keep the doors open. Because even then I was still working at the railroad. So mind you, while all of this stuff is going on and we are building this, my dad has a full-time minister. Mm-hmm. So he has a job. Mm-hmm. My mom was a retired nurse, so she has an income. I'm working at the railroad, so I have an income. Right. You know, (laughs) so that's one of the things to where when you look at it, um, it helped our business to grow. Yes. It helped our business to be able to stand on its own. Yes. When it had no legs for us to support it. Right. You know, right. it was able to stand on its own. So anything that we had in our business, we put it back into our business. Gotcha. Anything that we had, we we put it back in because that was it. So nobody was needing to take any money out of it. Right. You know, so that helped us to be able to do that. Um, so we opened up in Beaumont. Mm-hmm. Newest funeral home in Beaumont. Nobody mm-hmm. had ever done it. And mm-hmm. the building next door was owned by somebody else. We couldn't buy that. It still owned somebody else. So... Um, we just had that building, lease to own that property. So once we got to the point to where the other building came vacant because somebody else was in it, mm-hmm. we asked, we tie that in to everything that we had? Gotcha. So that way we could control all of it right. yeah. and the lease to own. Um, and then once our business, it was maybe 2000, we, st- we went there in 2000. Okay. So probably about maybe 2007, 2008, we had gotten to the point to where we could refinance. You know, and the good part about it is they allowed everything that we paid toward our lease. Wow. To go toward the purpose. Man, that is that is a blessing. You know, so it allowed us to be able to do that. So we were just favored. Yeah. And all of that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As things went. Right. And and as God helped us to do things, to make our business work, you know, it was just one of those things to where it was just It was always a blessing. Right. So we started from there. Once we ended up from Beaumont, Mm -hmm. then, so as we started our business, we were doing things in different areas. So we went from there to Anahuac, Mm -hmm. which Anawak is Chambers County. Yes. So knowing people, and and sometimes my dad being a a minister kind of helped just know people in different areas. Mm -hmm. Um, So knew some people, knew a friend that said, no, they don't have a place in Anahuac. We don't have a place. What do y'all think about coming there? I was like, man, I would love to go there if we had somebody that could help us yeah. to get there. Mm-hmm. So what the young lady did and, and other people that was there introduced us to all the people there, you know, preachers and different people to be able to help. <clears throat> and um, we started doing services there. And when we went there, it was like five other funeral homes going into that that area doing okay. services. Hmm. So we would want one of five and as we went we started doing more families started mm-hmm. trusting us more and then that was a building it's an old feed store huh Guy, God was his so Mr. Bradley met him wanted to buy the building he said okay he, the, at the time the building was really in bad shape mm-hmm. they didn't use it anymore no so he was like okay Again, I own and finance the building. Wow. To you. Went in and done all of the work to the building, mm-hmm. own the finance of that, all of the property that he had with it. And that's how we got started there. Wow. Every place that we've been, it was a purpose mm-hmm. that God sent us there. And then in the sense of just using your thing, the pursuit of making it happen, of pursuing that, what he did, but the purpose was already, I think, already there. Yeah. Yes. Because in a sense, everything was already lined out for us when we got there. And all we had to do was take care of, all you had to do was line yourself up with it Mm -hmm. and make it work. And those were the things that happened. And and when I look back and I'm I'm just grateful because everywhere. And from there we went to, um, Liberty kind of same scenario. Mm -hmm. Building came up vacant. Somebody said it came up vacant. And by this time, our business was a little bit more established. So we, we could buy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, But kind of back, though, (laughs) I went in and bought the building for other people. They never talked to my bank. Good thing my banker is good. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Because I already made a deal with the people, and then I went to the bank and said, hey, I got this building I want to buy. He was like, okay, just go ahead and tell me what I need to do. (laughs) How about that? But um, that was some of the things. So Uh I think purposely we've always been planted by God in the places that we've been. So you have four locations now, and we have a place in Woodville. Five. five. You know, Sealsby, we don't use anymore. We still have the property there, uh, but the building got messed up. So, you know, really in Sealsby, when you look at the day's time, um, you had five funeral homes. Mm. Even before we closed, you had five funeral homes in Sealsby. Okay. You know, anything the thing about Sealsby, is too many places. Yeah, that's yeah. what, five funeral homes. Yeah. It's not that many people passing there. Right. So we took the money that we was going to dump to fix that and went and bought the place in Liberty. Okay. You know, and then another family closed the funeral home in Woodfield at the time. And then that family... I knew one of the, the sisters it was kind of siblings but I knew the sisters and really well, and they mm-hmm. sold us that property. Okay. okay. So we have that. Um, so we have four active active places that we have. Um, and we have the building, in seals, but we don't use it, but it's something that looking back, you know, may kind of reinvent, you know, redo that, but just kind of making sure that everything is going to be solid because now you had five, you don't have that no more. Right. Everything is kind of filtered Okay. Yeah. Um, So those are just some of the basic things when we talk about funeral business and how we got started. But the main thing for me out of all of that is really helping my daddy fulfill his dream, you know, about owning his own place. Mm -hmm. And then me just lining up it now, never knowing that this is what I would do because I never wanted to be in a funeral business. Right. Never thought that I would be in a funeral business. But now that I'm here, I love what I do and I wouldn't do anything else. Right. You know. And this is kind of how I ended up. Is there anything that you tell your dad now? If, is there any message you'd like to send? It? Yeah. my I often say even with my dad, and, and my dad, you know Me and my dad work, you know, so in a sense now my dad's, he's still alive. But my dad is not doing well. Mm. Um, but all of the things I always, even now, I appreciate everything that he's taught me. Mm. You know, because my dad was always there for me to help me, you know, in this spec. You know, my parents have always been very supportive, Mm -hmm. even in this adventure of of doing all of this work. My parents have really been supportive. Lysandra has been very supportive, you know, of all of the things that we've done. Um, But my dad taught me everything that I know. And I often say, when even going back to, you know, kids doing the things that their parents do, and I think, some of it, it may be consciously that they do it. Mm-hmm. Some of it may be unconscious. that mm-hmm. they do it for me. It was very unconscious. The majority of be Yeah. And just in that facet of, I always said in this business, if I was half as good as my daddy, I'd be better than most. Wow. And that's the thing that now for me, when you talk about legacy, because the name on the marquee is our name and, and it's not about me, but that that's my daddy. That's Mm-hmm. Their legacy—that's their name, mm-hmm. you know—and that means more to me than anything. And it's about how can I honor that? How can I go in and make sure that that legacy lives? Yeah, and make sure that not like a lot of times, and not all. That sometimes when that that patriarch leaves or mm-hmm. no longer there, things tend to drop. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, whether it's how just attention to detail or the professionalism or how it's run. I always want to honor them to know that they've left it in good hands. Yes. Because so many times that there is not a succession plan, especially in funeral business, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody don't have a succession plan. And a lot of times when those leave, they sell off Mm -hmm. everything. And, and I feel like that's the way that I can honor them the most to make sure that, he knows and I think he knows that he's left it in good hands Mm -hmm. and my goal is to continue to build Mm -hmm. on all of the things that that he's done. And one thing that I say about my father even in all of the other places that we had, he kind of gave me free reigns to just create, Mm -hmm. be creative and Mm -hmm. be out there and do it and allowed me to go out and I think because my father understood that and sense he probably was going to go before me. Mm. So he allowed me to brand in my way to build it for the next generation because mm. he knew that his generation was already pretty much done. Mm. Not only that, but he taught you how to pass it on as well. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my goal. And that's my, my, my wish. But one thing that I do understand about most things with children If you force them into something, they'll never want to have anything to do with it. That's right. So they have to be allowed to ingest it on their own, you know what I'm saying? And not be Mm forced fitted it, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's what I hope that they ingest it on their own. Right. And then they, they find the desire to learn. Right. Or they find the desire to be a part Mm -hmm. because sometimes people are forced and then they don't even want to be around. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So the distance and the wedge is created because you're force feeding. Mm -hmm. Well, your dad did something and he taught you this.
0: I've been listening to you Mm -hmm. this whole time. Your dad led you and inspired you. Mm -hmm. He didn't force you. Mm -hmm. He simply showed you, this is the way I'm going and this is how I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And look how well it works. And then you were like,
1: yes. (laughs) I mean, from the beginning, he Mm -hmm. said, this is all I know. Mm. And that's what he told me in the beginning when I said, yeah. "What this is, what am I do?" He said, "But well, this is all I know." Right. And he didn't know. My dad knew preaching and funeral. I wasn't called to be a preacher, mm. so that wasn't me. Right. And and that was the way he said, "This is all I know." But you do have a ministry, and it is, mm. and 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 it is. Yeah. And I look at it that way because at every time we're touching people's lives yeah. yes. at one of the worst moments mm. that they're yeah. ever going to experience. That's right. And that's why I often say. In in times like this, funeral personnel are in. When you look at communities, are sometimes the most intricate people in that community. Yes. And why do I say that? It's because everybody in the community is going to touch or be touched by mm-hmm. that whole right. person at one point you or another. That's right. right. You may not go to the store, you may not, but everybody that, at someone that has someone that passes away, right. has someone that they know, or has somebody that's going to be touched by the funeral home person in that community. Right. So, you, you it, it is a ministry.
2: Absolutely. Right,
1: because you're going to, you, you're going to make an impact on somebody's life. Right. In some type of way.
2: One of the words that you used earlier uh, when you described uh, your perception of your dad uh, was to honor him. Mm -hmm. And I use that word often. I do a lot of grief work. So post your services, then they end up coming to my classes. And that's one of the first things I asked them. I said, who are you here to honor? Mm -hmm. So that's coming out of the services you provide Mm -hmm. at Proctor is this is your first best course of what's going to be honoring them for the rest of your life. Correct. Starting with this service moving forward so you 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 and your family really seem to take that very seriously. And I just think that's amazing. I think that that that's what's making a difference. Yeah. And that's why y'all been able to to spread and get invited to communities. Yeah. People like, "We know what you're doing there. Will you right. come do it here?" And you know that's our motto.
1: You know, our motto is, we make the difference. There it is. You know, and, and that's that's there always been our motto from day one, is mm-hmm. we make the difference. And, and choosing that is because when you look at people, mm-hmm. who makes the difference? Mm-hmm. It's an individual. That's oh, cool. yeah. You know, and no matter what we do in life, mm-hmm. somebody's going to make the difference, mm-hmm. whether it be bad or good. Right. And and that's just what we feel when you're dealing with us and you're mm-hmm. coming into our thing. We... Are the people that's going to make a difference right. in your life at this time? Right. We're going to make this pleasurable as it could be. Right. Because there's no pleasure in burying your loved one, Mm-mm. but mm-hmm. when you can walk in and you can feel comfort mm-hmm. and you can feel love, where it comes back from when I was growing up, I think that's where it comes in because the love that you have, even with times that people you really don't know, but you 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 know what they're going through, you can feel, you have empathy for them. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and and those are the things that I think that makes it even more personable. You know what I'm saying? And then I can sympathize with you because I can kind of relate to the situation because nobody wants to go through it. Nobody wants to sit there. Nobody wanna have it. But how can we make this moment a little bit more pleasurable outside of that? Where can you find some type of sense of relief and if you can't find if the funeral home is not a relief point for you when you're burying your loved one Hmm. then it's going to be more grief Mm -hmm. in this whole process Mm -hmm. than you ever really want to deal with right and you should not find more grief at the funeral home when you're grieving and i can tell you from personal experience
0: that's what often people do find yes it's more stress and grief in that process
2: how can we take that away? And that's it. I'm very so, proud to hear you say that. Yes. And so as, as uh, you're your funeral home and i think and all the locations obviously your team has grown mm-hmm. and i just heard a little component of what you look for in some of that team growth that type of perception of the people who are coming in the door and how to serve mm-hmm. them uh are there other things that you look for as you have grown have, you've had to grow your team y'all the two you and your dad just can't handle every location right. yeah um yeah so we we have a lot of awesome people that work with us and also i forgot we have a
1: crematorium as well okay that we just opened okay. you know so that's another thing that we have Um, uh, because life is- where is it at? actually right around the corner from our funeral home it's on 11th street okay um okay. we have a crematorium um so we just opened that last matter of fact today is the seventh. yesterday was the seventh. Mm-hmm. uh yesterday yes. today's the eighth. it was a year wow yesterday. congratulations right. the year <laughs> happy anniversary that it, yeah that it was open um so that's just another component Web, but the people, um, I look for people that's sensitive mm-hmm. to people. Okay. You know, people that's people's people. Mm-hmm. Because everybody is not a people's person. No, you're right. You know, and 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 in this business, you can't not be a people's person mm-hmm. because attitude, persona, mm-hmm. how things come across. If if you're having a bad, I I, know this, I tell people that it works with us. If you're having a bad day, don't come to work. Mm-hmm. Don't come to work today. Mm-hmm. If something's going wrong, and you got a bad day, and you can't mask it, mm-hmm. or you can't, mm-hmm. you, you don't have that poker face mm-hmm. where you can turn it off and turn it on. Don't mm-hmm. come to work today, mm-hmm. because somebody's going to be walking through that door mm-hmm. that's feeling a whole lot worse mm-hmm. or going through a whole lot more. The worst day have ever had you, right. than what you're going through. Right. So they don't need that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And and those are the things that feeling in this industry you just have to have. Yeah. And and it is sometimes unfortunate to where people can't always mask, yes. you know, their feeling. Yes. Um, so funeral business is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think sometimes now and nowadays you have everybody wanting to open a funeral home. When you look at funeral business, when funeral business first started, it wasn't a business. It was a community taking care of each other. Hmm. Uh, Mind you this, and just look at this. Older funeral homes prior to changing city ordinances and stuff like that, where were they located? Next door to to somebody's house. Oh, Oh. yeah. Uh That's a big market. But... Rural areas, mm-hmm. small places, mm-hmm. they were all next, always next door. I know, especially in the black community. Okay. They were always next door to somebody's house. Okay. We didn't have the GCMD, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. commercial, residential. Mm-hmm. We didn't have those right. type of zonings. Right. So all funeral homes were in neighborhoods. Matter of fact, you can go right now in, in, in Beaumont yeah. and look at the funeral homes. Yeah. Outside of your major funeral homes, and you can't use Roussard's on... Um, on on major because right. that was just built. Right. You can't right. use that one. But you use the one that has been here for the longest. McFadden. What what is the it buy? It's haunted in the neighborhood. It's everything he's around it. Wow. It's So true. Everything else has been built after the fact. That's right. Yeah. But the ones that's been here the most. Yes. And that's no matter where you go across the country. So funeral business was not funeral business. Mm-hmm. It was about community. These people serve our community. Yes. When someone passes away. Right, and that's where the funeral home was a home. That's where it was a home. That's where home got brought in. It was school. a home, but yeah, because yeah. most of them started in homes. Yeah, that makes sense. The funeral well, business that's... became commercialized. Mm. When it became commercialized, it no longer became an intimate thing with families and people that cared about you and did it. It became commercialized, and now it became a business. Gotcha. So, what happened then? Then everybody wanted to buy funeral homes mm. because what happens when it becomes a business? Now it becomes about profit, money. yeah, it becomes about money, yeah, so what happens when you have corporations that come in and buy funeral homes? Mm-hmm. They don't care you live next door to them. They don't care that you've been in the neighborhood mm-hmm. they don't care they look at is it profit it's a business a profit so now, how can we control? The business, so if you're a corporation, what are you looking at? Numbers, the bottom line. You're not looking at people, right? So it don't matter that you have something. We're looking at numbers now. Yes, the numbers don't gel. So what are they thinking about? How can we get our profit margin? Wow, right. So what do we do? So now, what happens if you're in the business and it's not? It's basically real estate. So now you have. All of the funeral homes that, remember I said, they don't have secession plans, right? Mm. They don't have secession plans. So what happens when daddy dies, there's nobody to take care of the business. The corporation buys it. The corporation is looking at that business. They've been doing good business because the son basically said, I don't want have nothing to do with it. Or the daughter said, I don't have nothing to do with it. That's why I say they have to ingest it. mm and not be forced, right? Because when they force, they don't see the value. Because you know what? In small funeral homes, what did Daddy do? Daddy was always working. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that. Put his life. Daddy was always doing this. That's right. I don't want to do that. But Daddy served a purpose in the community. Yes. Daddy knew everybody in the community. Everybody did what trusted mm-hmm. Daddy or mm-hmm. Mama in the community. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to do that right. because it was too much pressure to do that. I go get a job and I ain't nine to to five, and I ain't got to deal it with it yeah. you know what I'm saying right. so what happened then they seen that it was value mm. in funeral business mm. so value in funeral business and if you're an investor what do you want to do I'm going to invest right. in this right. so now you have mm. in a community if you have three funeral homes hypothetically in a community mm-hmm. and all of them never, none of them have a succession plan then you buy all of them now who are you in competition with Nobody. Mm -mm. Self. Self. So what do you do at that point when you control things? Mm -hmm. Supply and demand. Raise the price. Mm -hmm. And then if all of them aren't profitable and then you want to, Mm -hmm. and it's, I don't know if I want to use that word, but uh, if, 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 if if you have it like that, Mm -hmm. then you basically close down the ones that you don't want to have open. That's less profitable for you. Uh And what do you do? You drive. You centralize the people where you want them to go. Because you have nothing else. Right. If you have nothing else, then what are you going to do? You're going to go where I push you. To your yeah. only option. Yeah, You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So if you have them in all of the areas, and that's what corporations do, they buy up everything that's that's closing, mm-hmm. everything that does not have a succession plan. Mm-hmm. Mostly of the ones that's profitable, because they don't want anything that's profitable, because it becomes a liability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you buy the things that's profitable,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then the ones that's not as profitable, you close them. It's just a building. So you close the building. You ain't lost much money simply because, keep in mind, you're controlling it. Right. You see what I'm saying? So if you're controlling and they're it. They're directing the business. You can take that building. You can sell that building to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So you really ain't lost nothing. No. You close it. Now that option for that community mm-hmm. is not. It's sort of like when you look at it, And I use Beaumont. We're familiar with that. The grocery store system that we just had. Mm. They closed one in the north end, mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying, where it was on Lucas. Mm-hmm. They only had, they opened up the one that they built over here. Mm-hmm. And what did everybody have to do? Drive, yep. You gotta go wherever the product is that you want. That's right. It, it, ain't, it ain't there no more. Mm-hmm. And the same people that bought that one, bought that one, they just decided to close it. So now it's a building, you gonna lose money on the building? No, whether you use it or you don't use it, it's never gonna go in value. Right. And then what happens if you don't want nobody else to come in there, mm-hmm. you put a no complete clause on the building. Mm-hmm. That way it doesn't matter if I sell it to you or not. You can't never use it for that.
2: Not for a grocery. I- exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. So therefore, I ain't got to worry about you coming in mm-hmm. and me selling you this building mm-hmm. and you going in and put something, the same thing that I just tried to close. Right. To give the people that was there the opportunity to go back and get the same thing that I just tried to take away to put it where I wanted to put it. Right. So they buy those buildings and they don't sell them to nobody else that want to have a funeral home. Got you. So it sounds
0: to me like you are committed mm. to keeping Proctor's
1: Proctor's. Most definitely. Yes. For generations to come. Most definitely. And for and, your community. And, and and this this is just what you find. If I had no, and again, it becomes business. Right. If I had no secession plan and mm-hmm. I had nobody else that didn't want to do it, then yes, I'm not saying I would. I don't want to, but it would be, it would be it would behoove me you. to yes, sell it. That's right. You see, what I'm saying mm-hmm. while it has value, mm-hmm. then to allow it to go down in my old age, knowing that I cannot keep up. Yeah, it would it it would behoove me to sell it. While my family can now have generational wealth mm-hmm. from what it can bring, right? Even though you don't want to go do the work, when right. you can make more money off of it, you know, because the one thing that happens with com- with with those. Investors, mm-hmm. they always gonna keep the name on the marquee. Mm-hmm. Because, mind you, in funeral business, mm-hmm. the name is worth more than anything else. Right. Because, why? In funeral business, we are generational. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do we use funeral homes? Because they, they bury my grandma. Yes. Because they bury everybody in my family. Right. That's, That's right. So, the only reason you use them There's a family connection. That's it. Mm-hmm. The person, the name on the marquee ain't got nothing to do with who in the building. Right. Because okay. when they own by the conglomerates, mm-hmm. they keep the name, mm-hmm. and they get rid of everybody else that was tied mm-hmm. to that. They may keep the owner if he's still able in there for a year mm-hmm. for them to be able to make you think. But then they're going to say, Mr. John, not available today. We're going to have you meet with Tony. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because Ms. John just here, he, but he's busy. Mm-hmm. I know you seen him when he came in, but he can't meet with you. But I always met with him. But he he, he got a doctor's appointment today. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have you meet with Tony. Tony going to take care of you just like Mr. John would, but yeah. you got to meet with Tony. Yeah. Yeah. If he's just there for face. Right. Right. To make you feel comfortable. Right. But then after you've met with Tony two or three times, you see Tony's okay. Yeah. You ain't asking for Mr. John no yeah. more. Right. Now you can go home mm-hmm. and sit down. Mm-hmm. We don't need you no more. Right. That's how this business wow. works. Right. Because people are loyal to a name. Mm-hmm. And as things change, mm-hmm. you can see where it changes because now it's not that community. Yeah. Where at our funeral home, it's always gonna be about the people. Yes. It's about community. It's about who comes into that building having that personal care, having that personal effect, and it's not an assembly line. Yeah, because yeah. some businesses you can make them no matter what it is. You can take the personal ability out of it. Yes. Where now it's no more. Per, it's not personal anymore. Just make it sound. And it's just, it's just pushing. Yeah. You know, we're so busy. We just pushing whatever it is. We just pushing product, and and that's where you tend to lose.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If it's not personable, because that's what funeral homes were. Right. They were personable. You are going to go in there, you are going to talk to the person that was in your community that lived next door to you, Mm -hmm. that you seen at the grocery store, that you knew that was him, and you're going to have a conversation. And feel like family. That's what it was. So you walk in, you you already know who you're dealing with. Right. And that's the difference. And now the difference in funeral business is now everybody see or everybody thinks that it's money. Everybody think that it's a get-rich-quick scene mm-hmm. to where everybody want to go into the funeral business. Mm-hmm. Where funeral business is done, not a get-rich-quick scene. It's a lot of work. It's work mm-hmm. in the funeral business. Mm-hmm. So I've got a question for you. and I'm, I cannot tell
0: you how impressed I am mm-hmm. with your passion. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, I hope our audience sees that and appreciates that. You have a fire in you about what you do, mm-hmm. and that's what makes your place what it is. So the question is, are you successful? What is success?
1: That's for you. That's to the find. ultimate question. Mm-hmm. Are oh. you successful? I, I would say yes. I would say yes. But perception, I mean, perception of success is, I think it's a blurred line. You know what I'm saying? Because things can look successful and it really ain't. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a frontier. And, and I, I would say our business is successful, yes, because we... We're still moving. We're still growing. You know, people are still giving us an opportunity because in this business it's opportunity. Um, I, I, I thank God every day for the people that he put in our path that mm. that that come in and allow us to service them because there's many places that they can go. That's right. But they choose to call us. Love and those are the things that when you say success, but I think that makes us successful. And why I say success, we are successful because every day we're servicing families that we've never served before. Oh, wow. Every day, families are coming in our door that we don't have a generational time
0: with. That's great. And, that is.
1: And then we have other people that saying, hey, if something happens, you need to call them. To me, that's success because I, now yeah. I've yeah. built the relationship with other people, that they have the confidence in me mm-hmm. to stick their neck on the line mm-hmm. and say, you should call them. Mm. That's success. Has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with any of that. That's success for me because people believe in me. So yes, me, for people believe in our product. As for, and I don't want you to say product, they believe in our services there it is. and what we render. families. They believe in how we treat families. They believe in how we come across what we'll do whatever to help a family get it done. Mm. It's not about money. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter about money. At one point in our business, we were at the point to where people, it was out the way. If you ain't had no insurance, you better call Proctor. Really? You ain't got no money. You better call them because they're going to help you. They're going to help you no matter what. And to this day, it's still the same thing. That's a huge tell I'm going to help you no matter what it is. I'm going to help you. And, and and that's just where it is because no matter what you have doesn't define if you love your loved one. doesn't matter if you should be able to bury your loved one. <laughs> it doesn't matter about what services you get. We're going to treat you the same whether you spend $2,000, $20,000. Mm. You're not going to get anything less. You're not going to need any less of my time, any less of planning, any less of desire, what you want. We're going to sit there and go through all of it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And of course, some of the things that we can do, can't do. Of course, that may be hands because a lot of funeral business money is somebody else's money. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We don't control other people's prices. Mm -hmm. We don't control that. But I think everybody should have a dignified service. Mm. No matter what they have. That's just what they should have. And that's what we believe. And other people believe that. That's what makes us successful. Right. So you ask that question on those basis? I say yes, all day, every day.
0: Love well, it. from an outside perspective, from our side of the of the interview, <laughs> I believe you to be successful. Indeed. So the answer in my mind is yes. Mm-hmm. You are successful. Go ahead, Chuck.
2: Oh, no, that uh, I c- thought you had something. You no, wanted. I don't. I concur with that because. Uh, it it in something I kind of heard in the story, especially when you and your dad you were coming out of the military, you know, let let's open a business, mm-hmm. and and it seems as though his his perspective was still in that ministry mm-hmm. uh, format, which I love. That's it. That's his belief system. That's his paradigm. Whatever we do, that's what we're going to do. he's mm-hmm. looking at you going, Sean? Whatever we do, that's what we're going to do, mm-hmm. and and as long as that keeps kept. Kept coming through, and now obviously keeps coming through. Uh, success, and then, and this is what I want some of our audience. So we have a lot of people who are uh, who are passionate about their pursuits too. Mm-hmm. Then the financial resources will come. Mm-hmm. That's biblical. Mm-hmm. If you follow that passion first, God's like, I'll take care of the rest. And obviously, that's that's happening. And you're living proof. And, and, and you're and living
1: proof. And, and, and that's it. And, and you know, and that's been one of the things I think anybody that's that's trying to do something. You gotta stay the course. Stay the course. Because I think so many times when we even have dreams and desires, we want it to be popcorn. We wanted to put it in the microwave. Yeah. And we want it to be done in three minutes. Yes. It don't work like that. No, that's if right. any, my dad has always said anything that comes overnight, you have to be mindful of it and you better pay attention to it. Yeah. Because yeah. just as it has come, it was, it was so much leave. That's right. If you don't have to put work into it, yes. you know what I'm saying? blood, sweat, and tears, yes. then it's not going to be long-term. Right. So anything that you're pursuing, it's not overnight. Right. You, you got to stay the course. You got to put in the work. And in that becomes sacrifice. Yes. So many times I think we want things that we don't want to sacrifice for. Mm-hmm. That's right. Now, what, who says what the sacrifice is? It depends on what you're trying to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? But there is sacrifice mm-hmm. in anything. Maybe stand up late. Maybe being the last one to leave. Mm-hmm. Maybe getting there early. Mm-hmm. Some people, maybe sometimes staying all night. Yeah. Sometimes, whatever that dream is, sometimes people be like, I can't do it. But if it's your, if, if it's your dream, mm-hmm. you got to be willing to go through the ups and the downs, mm-hmm. the lows, the valleys, mm-hmm. whatever it is, so you can celebrate when you make it to the mountaintop. That's it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because... Going up the mountain is not easy. No. You know, you can fall at any time. You can fall at, but if you stumble, if you get bruised going up the mountain, Mm -hmm. are you willing to get up again and get back on that course? Wow. Because just though you fall two or three steps don't mean that you can't get, that's just two or three extra steps you got to take. You got to be willing to take those two or three extra steps. Absolutely. Everybody want to get to the mountain, but nobody want to do the work. That's right. To get there. People want other people to do the work. Right. For them to get to the mountain. Right. Well, if somebody else do the work to get to the mountain, then it's not your mountain. They're going to they don't get know. the reward. That's right. It's not yours. That's right. It's somebody else's mountain. That's right. So you can put your dreams and your desires. And I think that sometimes so many times people have things that they want and they want to get somebody else to do it for them. Yeah. Well, you get somebody else to do it. They can make it successful. But if they do, they have the ability to pull the rug from you mm. anytime that they see fit. Right. It's like going to school. Are you, you not having the... You, you, people? I tell people all the time in business, there's two p- ways to get business. You can have the financials to get business. You can have the knowledge to get business. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to team up and do the two. Yeah. But sometimes always financial don't make your business run because right. you just got the money to run it. You don't have the knowledge. That's right. So if the person takes the knowledge away from the money, then you ain't got nothing. That's right. So it's always best to have the knowledge and take the slow path. To the money mm-hmm. sort of like you just see mm-hmm. because once you take the slow path you can better enjoy the reward yes or the success that you think that you're trying to accomplish yeah. yes and and i think for us in our business it has always been the slow road you know our business even when you say successful not now successful monetarily wise we didn't see any progress in our business until about 15 years Mm. Mind you, we've only been in business now for about 25. Right. We didn't see any monetary gain in our business until 15 years in. Mm. Everything in was just... Investment. Sacrifice. Mm. Sacrifice. Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Turnover. Mm -hmm. How can you keep it? Mm -hmm. Turnover. Because mind you, funeral business is what we're in. It's generational. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Remember? Mm -hmm. People don't just knock on the door. Yeah. Right. People don't just say, hey, go over there and right. use them. They don't know nothing about you. Yeah. Why would they say that? Right. 15 years in for people to start saying, man, you might want to call them. Mm. You wow. know what? They, they'll be a good avenue for you. Mm. Now, that's the thing where now we ain't struggling as much. right? But again, now we have people that we do have generational mm-hmm. ties. Mm-hmm. Families that we've serviced over and over again. Mm-hmm. But it's been a path. Mm-hmm. It's, been, it's been work, a lot of work, mm-hmm. a lot of long hours. Mm-hmm. You talk about relationships. Sometimes relationships take time. Mm-hmm. And in that business relationship, physical relationship, sometimes they both don't coincide. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people don't want to give you the time to develop a physical relationship when you're trying to develop a business relationship. Right. Sometimes you gotta pick or choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which one you're gonna put the most time into. Right. You know. Right. And it's just those are the things sometimes that tend not to work. If you're not right. doing sometimes the time that needs to be done. Right. Or other things are happening. Sometimes you just get lost, certain things. Absolutely. But my my pursuit was always to just be successful. That's been my dream.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My dream was to be successful. Well, I believe Indeed. you're bringing
0: that to fruition.
1: Indeed. I think it's coming,
0: but I ain't made it yet. <laughs> well, we're drawing to a close. We're getting close to the end now. And we've got just a little bit left mm-hmm. and I've got a very uh it's my favorite question. I ask this question of every guest. Um and it it takes a little thinking sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, if you could go back in time, mm-hmm. okay, to your younger self. And when I say your younger self, mm-hmm. probably Probably in high school before you, before you signed up for the for the military, prior to graduating. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you could whisper in your own ear and give yourself some advice, mm-hmm. and that's all you can do. You can't change anything. All you mm-hmm. can do is give yourself some advice. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that younger
1: you? I would say, stay the course, study a little harder, widening your ram of just knowledge of a lot of different things um but stay the course because life has some ups and downs life has some bruises bumps that you're going to experience but but stay the course don't di- don't get discouraged and a lot of times follow your first mind and i say that because sometimes i've had things that was my first mind you know that probably could have Made things move a little swifter. But in that sense, would I even do that? Because sometimes the lessons in the slower times, you know what I'm saying, is always the best lessons, you know? So, but I would just say stay the course. Um, nothing to change because life has been good for me. Um, ups and downs and all of those things that I've had has been what has made me solid in what I've experienced today. Um, and just keep believing. And I, I think those are the things, because like you said, changing anything would change the whole trajectory of where you are, or where you're not you know, a lot of times I have that conversation to people like, oh, I changed this thing. Not many things that I would change, you know, because just life, I thank God for not having, uh, a whole lot of bigger issues, but I've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of Sometimes I look back and say dumb decisions, you know. But I've always had that saving grace, you know, where God has always been there to spin the narrative a little bit, you know, and to to make things okay. And out of that, just stay the course. That's that's the main thing to my younger self. If I could write that note, you know, is just stay. And and if you stay the course, things will be okay. It's fascinating that you give that
0: answer. Mm -hmm. I love this. To me, this is maybe just a selfish question on my part. I Mm -hmm. hope the audience enjoys it. But to me, this is one of the most inspirational times in the whole interview Mm -hmm. because it illustrates several things. Number one, it illustrates you're a person of faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, And number two is you don't have regrets. You don't live in the past. Mm -hmm. You live now, mm-hmm. and you believe that the things that all happened in your life were done for you, mm-hmm. not to you.
2: Mm-hmm. So you're not a victim, mm-hmm. and I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Chuck. Yeah. Have you anything you'd like? Oh uh, no, thank you. Very inspirational. I uh, uh, I love it. I love the story of your journey. I love all of of the uh, the 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 perceptions. And I like that, that mature vulnerability to say, what will I learn in these moments? Now, I know when we're in it, we don't know that we're learning, but when we get on the other end, it's like, man, I'm so glad I did that. And I heard that several times today. And I know a lot of our audience did, but uh, if you'll notice, a lot of times we reference the younger, mm-hmm. but we have some some folks who are teens and 20s mm-hmm. and they're tuning in and uh, we want them to hear these stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why we, we love bringing in uh, women and men who are a little bit further down the road to say, if I could look back Mm -hmm. these are some things so thank you for being vulnerable today and sharing all that i mean most all were good stories there was a few learning moments uh, but i really uh love uh what a lot of things today but definitely that value of family that is all and the folks that are listening if you if you may if you have a classic family that's fine if you don't have a classic family love those people that you that are your family because Mm -hmm. those are the ones that will carry you and even to this day you're looking to legacy what will I leave for the next folks to come? And thank you for that, LaShawn.
1: Thank you. And I appreciate you even allowing me to come in and, and have this moment. Um, because I think that is the thing that a lot of times people, when people are, are getting inspiration or looking at people's story, they don't really know how they got there. Everybody just want to talk about, oh, I'm here now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Nobody ever want to really talk about how they started. Right. And I think those are some things that sometimes give us a false impression of how things actually work right give us a false sense of hope of how we can make it because you have to know where the holes are hmm. and, and and it's always been one of those things if you can tell people where the holes are then they don't have to step in the same hole that you stepped in right you know they don't have to go through the same things that you have and they may be able to help them to bypass right. some of those things and i just think anybody that has a drive has a motive has a desire it got to stick to it you know, no matter if it looks and don't let people discourage you because people would try to bust your bubble, you know, and all of those things. One thing that even for me did not really mention, I was never most likely to nothing in, in school. I was never <laughs> most likely to succeed. Yeah. I was not the most popular. I was I was none of that Right. ever. And mm. that's why maybe I got a chip. Because I feel like I was always the underdog. I always felt like I had something to prove, you know. And that was my motivation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When somebody tell me it can't be done, watch. My thing is to pay attention. Yes, yeah. I'm gonna show you. And and it it may not be tomorrow. It may not be the next month. If you watch long enough, I'm gonna show you mm-hmm. that it can be done. And that's always been my driving. Mm. Motivation. Mm -hmm. You tell me something can't be done. It's kind of funny you talk about LaSondra. She said, if I tell you don't go this way, you're going to go that way. If I tell you don't do this, you're going to do it. (laughs) I mean, if I say you can't do this, you I mean, my thing is, some people use negative things, Mm. and they allow it to hold them down. Mm. They allow it to deflate them. They allow it to just bust their bubble. Mm. But no, that's going to motivate me. That's right. That's going to be the gas in my tank. The few to say, "How do I get it done? Let me figure out how I get it done. Let me let me show you." You are not a victim. Always been the thing for me, um, because I t- I tell everybody, even right now, honestly, in school I was I wasn't most likely to succeed. <laughs> but when you look at the people that I'm one of the most successful people out of my class. Yeah. Another thing, and just and, and one thing, and I don't want to take no time much. I know we got to go. I don't feel like you have to have a college degree. Mm-hmm. I agree. To be successful. Mm-hmm. I agree. Entirely. Just because you don't go to college mm-hmm. and you don't have a piece of paper don't mean that you're not going to be successful. That's mm-hmm. an absolutely mm-hmm. true statement. Those are some of the things that even growing up with me, people said you had to go to college to be successful. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not true. That's right. And I think kids that's listening, people that's listening, they just have to get outside of that mindset. College is a great place to be. Sure, people make a lot of great friends. They get an education. They do a lot of things. They learn a lot of things. I went to school for the, Half the stuff that I went to school for in my business... Book wise, don't help me. Right. You know what I'm saying? In a sense, when you talk about experience, when we talk about experience, we want people to have experience. But who would you hire first? Person with a college degree or somebody that's been in the field for five years.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: If they're going for the same job and they want the same thing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You want to have that. I mean, I don't knock it, but I think so many kids and so many young people get caught up on that. If I go to college, I'm not gonna be successful. Mm -hmm. If I don't do this, I'm not gonna be successful. It's about the drive in you, it's about your motivation. It's about what you want.
0: You went to the University of Life, yes, and you graduated with honors. You're yeah. now a doctorate
2: in your field. <laughs> yeah, you <It's, laughs>
1: University of Maryland. That's why I went when I said I took some classes in school. Yeah. I just didn't do it. I mean, I had some classes yeah. that I took, and even going to mortician school, we have to take science, we have to take right. anatomy, we have to take microbiology, we have to do all of those things, anatomy, all of those things we have to take in order to learn about the body and do those things. So I have some things, you know, in that sense. Mm-hmm. I just don't have a college degree from a university on the wall, but I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, I just think that people. Well, just have to understand that yeah. don't let that define your life. That's right. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah. well, and and, and and I do, I because of what I wanted to do, I had to go through the academic mm-hmm. realms. I had to go to a college mm-hmm. and that opened the door to get my license and so mm-hmm. on and so on. And I just told a young lady that yesterday. She said, I am going to go study business so I can open a business. I said, no, man, <laughs> you don't have to have a business degree to open a business. I said, no, you yeah. can maybe... Somebody you may want to work for may require that degree, but do you want to do that? Do you want your own? She says, well, I want my own. I go, there you go. So- but even having gone to go uh, to the funeral directing school and all that stuff—that is its own version of college. Mm-hmm. If I want to do this business, the state says I must have this completion. That's that is its own version of college. It doesn't have to be that university. It just depends on what people want. That too became. Remember, you earlier you, you described that whole corporate takeover. That's basically what the universities have become. But we'll talk about that on another <laughs> show. So, as we close, this will be the very last question. How do people become
0: your customer if they're watching this interview? How do they get to become your customer if they're in need at that worst time in their life has happened, or if they're trying to
1: plan ahead? Mm-hmm. How well, do they become pre-planning so you can always find us? Our main location we have again four locations. Um, we service counties that we service is Tyler County, Jefferson County, Hardin County, um, Liberty County, and Chambers County. Those are the counties that we're in. Our main location is Beaumont, Texas, 3522 Washington Boulevard. Phone number is uh, 409-840-2022. We do have a website, that's ProctorsMortuary.com. Um, we have a Facebook page, you can find us there. Um, person that's looking at pre arranging, which pre arranging is just planning your funeral prior, paying for that, uh, paying for your funeral, that way your insurance policies can be used for the subsidized income that's lost, not paid for a funeral. Um, you can find us there. We have a crematorium. Just call us. We'll be more than happy, more than willing to help. If you just have questions, I encourage people to always go to the funeral home prior to needing the services because then you can make an open-minded decision. You can educate yourself on what actually is going on at the funeral home or needed. But 8409-840-2022 is our number. Okay. Proctorsmortuary.com is our website. Um, you can find information on us there, there about us. Again, we do have a Facebook page uh, for our social media stuff. But we would love to help any family that's in need. If you know someone that's in need, um, I think we have some of the the best pricing in the city that's affordable for funerals. Um, And my thing is always, you don't have to spend a lot of money on a funeral to basically have a nice funeral. Because again, uh, that's just one of the things that we've always implemented. So if you need someone, you're looking for someone, you just have questions that you want to ask, then please give us a call. We're more than willing to ask, answer, help you with questions, give you some guidance. Of course, just keep in mind, please, ma'am, please, sir, all funeral homes are different. Where you go, everybody has a different pricing. Everybody has a different way of doing business. Everybody has different things that they do. So just please keep that in mind as far as when you're shopping or where you're going, that every funeral home is different. No funeral home is the same. So, May,
2: thank you for that. Thank you, sir.
0: Well, LaShawn, we really appreciate you yes. being with us today. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in our audience. Again, I'm Robbie. I'm Chuck. And, it's and been, I'm and, <laughs> <laughs> uh Yes. yes. And it's been a great day here uh, with Pursuit of Purpose, and we really appreciate you being with us. Yeah. Thank you. Really and uh, we hope all of you have a great day.